evening. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman, calling in again this week from the beautiful mountains of Utah. Wish I were in studio in terms of sound quality, but loving the views of the Rockies here from my windows. We do tonight's show. I've been feeling like I've been in touch with the miracles of nature this week. Here in the Rockies, the beautiful sun and the snow, feeling kind of at one with the miracle of our daily life. But it's gotten me to thinking about how much we rely on the supernatural as we, in our religious belief, in our spiritual faith, whether we're Jewish. Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, all of our traditions, to some extent, in one way or another, rely on miracles. The suspension, not of the, 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 the suspension, as it were, of daily life, what we would predict to have happen by the laws of physics and the laws of human relationships, by something that is out of the ordinary, an intervention by God or by a human being acting, channeling the power of God to make some sort of positive change in the natural order of things. That's one way to think about a miracle. And we sometimes think of miracles as uh, not only intrinsic to faith, but as intrinsically good. I would say we always think of miracles Uh, as intrinsically good, but are they? Is suspending the natural order of things a good thing? A miracle when when God parts the Red Sea in Genesis and saves the people of Israel, it also ends up destroying the Egyptians who, seeing the Red Sea go into the breach, and then are then drowned. So certainly I, for them it wasn't a miracle. And it said that there's weeping by God because of the loss of those children, of the Egyptians in that case. That seems awfully complex. You know, as we get into it, miracles of all of these faiths have, I could argue, a bit of a dark side as well. Let's see if our guests agree, disagree with that premise, premise as we dive into today's show, Trouble with Miracles. We're joined tonight by one first-time guest and one repeat guest. Honored to, to uh, welcome for the first time on Equal Footing, Rabbi Benjamin Black. I'm sure many of our listeners know of Rabbi Black. He's an internationally recognized Jewish educator, religious leader, author, and lecturer. Rabbi Black is the author of 19 highly acclaimed and best-selling books with a combined sale of close to half a million copies, including the international bestseller, The Sistine Secrets, which has been translated into 16 languages and is soon to be a major documentary feature film. Rabbi Benjamin Black is a 10th generation rabbi. He 
He's a professor of Talmud at Yeshiva University. He's also the Rabbi Emeritus of Young Israel of Oceanside. He's a frequent lecturer in Jewish communities all over the world, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, Thailand, Singapore, Hong Kong, Tokyo, of course, Israel, and closer to home here in the United States. He served as scholar in residence at hundreds of synagogues throughout North America. Rabbi Black, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you for joining. Thank you for that introduction. Beautiful. You are joined by an old friend of the program, wonderful and challenging guest. <laughs> I have on more than one occasion been course-corrected when he's on the air. I love it. Professor David Weddle. Professor Weddle is a Ph.D. from Harvard. He's a professor emeritus of religion at Colorado College. Professor Weddle has taught courses in comparative theology and ethics, American religions, and the philosophy of religion. He served as chair of the department uh, at Colorado College. He previously taught at Cornell College. He chaired the Department of Religion there for 20 years. He's a lifetime honorary member of the American Academy of Religion, and he's authored several wonderful books that I recommend to listeners. Um, Sacrifice, which he covered uh, last year in a show, a book called Sacrifice in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And very apropos to tonight's program, he's the author of Miracles, Wonder and Meaning in World Religions, published by NYU Press in 2010. Professor Weddle, with his wife Sharon, of six years, lives in Colorado in Woodland Park, and he and two colleagues just published a new volume of essays titled Miracles, an Exercise in Comparative Philosophy of Religion. Professor Weddle, welcome back to Equal Footing. Are you there, Professor Weddle? Yes, we are. I've already thanked you for that beautiful intro, and I'm ready to pick up on whatever aspect of miracles you'd like to discuss. Okay, I hear you, yes. I hear you Rabbi. Yes, there let us go. proceed. All right, well, let's, let's first of all get on get the table. What, what is... A miracle. In my, in my somewhat clunky intro, I, I defined it as a suspension of the natural order of things, which we think of as for the good, for an individual good or for a greater good, uh, and maybe that's not the right uh, definition. Um, Professor Weddle, why don't, you, why don't you kick us off? Generically speaking, what is the right definition of a miracle? <laughs> well, as I'm sure the rabbi will point out, there's no right definition. But I think that what's common to all definitions is that a miracle represents a divine intervention by a personal transcendent agent that makes a change in either history or nature that would not otherwise have happened. Miracles are also marked by evoking a sense of wonder. So let's start there. Rabbi, do you agree? Are you on board with Professor Weddle's definition of, the, of a miracle? I'd like to expand that and uh, indicate what it is that Judaism says in particular that so very strongly defines and is the key to a miracle. You know, it's interesting that when you started, Don, what you did was you said looking out at the, the scene in front of you and you see nature and what a miracle. What you were saying is there is a an aspect of divinity or an aspect of recognizing that the world is more than we see on the surface 
And then the next thing you turn to was the Jews being saved when the sea split before them, and miraculously they were able to be delivered from the Egyptians. Those are two totally different kinds of miracles. And normally we tend, when we speak of the word miracle, to mean something like the splitting of the sea or a true miracle which goes beyond the laws of nature. And what Judaism emphasizes so very strongly is, and I love to put it this way, the difference between a miracle and a natural event is that a natural event has the misfortune of being repeated on a regular basis. (laughs) When uh, (laughs) something happens that we see frequently, uh, the birth of a child, uh, that we can see with our eyes, uh, that we can hear, that uh, oh, we see the sunrise and the sunset. We no longer call that a miracle because it's something that we are accustomed to, and we're so used to it that we think it's not miraculous anymore. What Judaism does is attempt to make us sensitive to the fact that it is as miraculous to get up every morning and see with our eyes and hear with our ears and function as we do. It is as miraculous to have a child, and as much as we think that the miracle is only the splitting of the sea, the miracle is daily events. Therefore, that is the purpose of blessings, blessings for things that happen all the time in us for in order for us to understand the true definition of a miracle a miracle right. being you know Al- albert einstein uh, it reminds me of the way albert einstein could have summarized what you were saying in a certain uh, regard he said there are only two ways to live your life one is as though nothing is a miracle and the other is as though everything is a miracle and you know he had the the, the view that what happens in the natural world is intrinsically miraculous. But Professor Weddle, let's let's get a little bit more controversial than that. Of course, I think we we all intuitively know that um, having having a child, the feeling of uh, falling in love, um, being saved from some awful eventuality, those are things in daily life that that we identify as miracles, but are still in the natural order. But then, as we get into the the um, I don't want to call them myths, but the, the foundational uh, stories of the Abrahamic faith, there are some pretty dramatic miracles that involve, let's call them, uh, good things to some and bad things to other, uh, others. Give us some examples. Walk us through what that is, because it, miracles aren't, aren't always um, universally uh, positive, are they? No, they're not. I think that it's um, that it's admirable that many people look at every ordinary grace as a miracle, but I think that that avoids the question of whether certain events in our experience come from an agency outside of the universe. If what a miracle is is a direct intervention by, and I'm going to say a personal transcendent agent that our two traditions call God, but we mean radically different things by that word. 
I think if that's what miracles are, then they are rare, and they cause great wonder, and they can reveal something about the nature of our lives and the purpose of God. Now, I would say that a central miracle in the Jewish tradition is, of course, the exodus out of Egypt, and yet it is fraught with moral ambivalence even when the people have gotten to the other side of the Red Sea, Moses' sister Miriam leads the people in a celebratory dance. And according to the rabbinic tradition, the angels ask God, can we join with them in celebrating this deliverance? And God replies, how can you dance when my children, the Egyptians, lie drowned in the sea. Now, God does not say, I didn't do this, or I was forced to do it. He takes full responsibility and at the same time recognizes that this kind of special privilege miracle is a zero-sum game. Now, we're going to need to take our first break in a moment, but the before the Exodus, one could make an argument, Rabbi, that the plagues that are visited upon the Egyptians are also miraculous. Uh, I think that's, um, you could fairly say that they're, they're miracles. Obviously, the effects of those miracles are at least temporally enormous pain and suffering. Is it? Is it? Can we see things that, in our tradition, involve great human suffering from one side, then ultimately maybe a blessing for another as a miracle? Does that does that sit right with you, Rabbi? You know, uh, you take one particular story and you're using this as if it can explain the key to all miracles. This had a specific purpose. And the purpose was that Pharaoh had enslaved the Jewish people. The Jews for 210 years were in Egypt, treated horribly. It was a holocaust of a different order many, many years ago. And what God wanted was to have Pharaoh do the right thing. And in order to get him to do the right thing, he did miracles. It's fascinating that in Hebrew, the word for a miracle is nes. And that word in its root also means a test. What it tells us is that every miracle that God performs is a test for us whether we perceive and understand its source, that this is something unusual and therefore has a higher source. And what God wanted to do was give Pharaoh an opportunity to undo his evil policies and actually send the Jews out, give them their freedom. It's an opportunity that God offers men to do the right thing. And uh, Pharaoh didn't until after 10 of them. If you're asking, why does God do miracles at certain times? God does them to push people in the right direction. But God doesn't force because contrary to that movement is the idea of free will. Now, free will allows people to do... 
pardon the, inter- they, pardon the interruption. I want to, I want to, I want to put a pin in that because that's a good segue into the differences between miracles that are effectuated directly by God and miracles that are manifested through human action. And you've written very beautifully, Rabbi, on that distinction in Judaism. But let's cover that after the break. You're on here with Rabbi Benjamin Bleck, Professor David Weddle, both scholars uh, in general, religious scholars, and specifically on the role of miracles in our uh, religious beliefs, in our daily lives, both authors on this subject. Talk to us. Give us your perspective, miracles in your daily life. What is there any moral complexity in your view to the belief in or the effect of miracles? You can call in live to participate at 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. If you call in, please be patient because we're all calling into the studio and our radio engineer may not see you right away. Let it ring. Or you can text or WhatsApp in a question or comment on this subject to our guests to 917-428-4062. That is not a number to call to participate, but to text or WhatsApp a question or comment, 917-428-4062. We'll be right back talking about the trouble with miracles. Sometimes the stars decide to reflect in puddles in the dirt. When I look in your eyes, I forget all about what hurts. Some weeks it's difficult to program the music given the topics that we cover here on Equal Footing, but there's been so much beautiful, uh, so many beautiful songs written about miracles, both in, uh, individually in people's lives, the sensation of God's intervention in their life in a positive way, and more generally about miracle stories. Put in miracles songs into Google. Look at you. Look at the, the plethora of options. Okay, we got to cover one of our sponsors, a wonderful sponsor for a long time for the program, Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers almost overnight maximum two-day financing to watch dealers as well as watch collectors from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your collection or inventory through max buyback contracts. It's very easy. You just download the app on your iPhone or Android. It's Mechanical Art Capital, three words, and you can have your watch collection or inventory appraised that's free of charge. It can help you with insurance, etc. and then you can raise cash from those watches without even selling them. It's very easy financing. If you want to do it online, you can go to mechanicalartcapital.com. You can also call and get direct help from an operator. That's 833-209-0972. That's the number to call to access Mechanical Art Capital's financing program for timepieces. Yes, watches. Unlock the cash value of that collection of that inventory. Call 833-209-0972. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've been told. All right, we're talking about miracles, 
And you'd think on a, on a religious network, on a religious program, that we would be, uh, I don't know, describing all the miracles of Genesis, the miracles of Hanukkah, and the miracles of Purim from the Judaic perspective, the six or seven uh, miracles, depending on which belief set you, you subscribe to, of uh, the, the, the figure known as Jesus uh, Christ and the Christian tradition, uh, the miracles that, that Muhammad is said to have performed, and so forth. You know, it, we're not really doing that here. What we're doing is actually a, a, trying to get at uh, the complexity, the moral complexity of what we often assume to be an unabashed uh, positive. And Rabbi, I want to give you a moment, uh, a chance in a moment to help us understand the two major different types of miracles in Judaism. But before we do that, I want to... Um, Cite some stats for listeners. Regular listeners, equal footing, know that I, I'm in love with statistics, and I think some interesting things shine through in this. There's there's been two major studies for in uh, in the United States at least uh, on people's relationship with let's call it that with miracles, and there's been one major study globally. Um, in the United States by the Pew Research Center and the Barna Research Center, and globally by the Pew Research Center for People and Media. And, and you guys will probably be interested to hear some of the, some of the things that come out of this. So over 80% of Americans, let's talk about Americans here, believe in God and believe in, uh, it's almost the same number, 83% believe in God and 79% believe in miracles. However, most of those uh, respondents believe that miracles only occurred in the past. They no longer uh, happen in the present. Uh, only 35% of Americans, approximately, believe that miracles still occur in the world. Now, interestingly, almost an identical number, and we're, I'll pause here because we'll, we'll cite some, some other statistics later we get to the Eastern faith, but this is, this is what I want to uh, kind of address to, to both of you in question. Approximately the same number of respondents that believe that miracles still occur in the world, they're not just from the biblical times, also believe, only two percentage points less, that a miracle has been performed by God in their own lives. So I found this fascinating. So it, in other words, people seem to believe that, uh, not everybody, but one-third of people believe that God is performing miracles in their lives today. However, when it comes to others, 69% of respondents in the Pew Research Center study believe that the miracles that other people think are happening in their lives are not actually miracles, but are explained by science or, re or uh, reason. So there's this famous attribution thing that goes on with psychology, right? I trip on a, I, I, uh, I trip walking down a sidewalk and someone asks, uh, why? So, well, the, the, you know, they, they, uh, they put a little bump in the sidewalk and, and they shouldn't have. But I see someone else trip and they say, oh, uh, they, he should have been looking where he was going. So this, this really interesting attributional dynamic. And, uh, Rabbi, you talk about this, about like personal agency and miracles. Does this, does it, does it matter? What, what is it today to be a believer, a Jew, and believe in miracles? Does it have to be something that is happening in our lives? And if it's happening in our lives, why shouldn't we think it's happening in others? It is so remarkable that people feel that there is spiritual essence to the world, as we discussed at the beginning of this program. And when they look at their lives carefully, they 
see, they acknowledge, they recognize, as yourself said, with regard to statistics, that things didn't just happen. Uh, the, the great line is coincidence is God's way of choosing to remain anonymous. In our lives, we call it coincidence. I can tell you 50 illustrations of miracles in my life where it wasn't the splitting of the sea because that's not the kind of miracle that we mean when we talk about Nisim Nais miracles. Miracles are things that uh, in Judaism, we have holidays. There are two main holidays where we proclaim miracles, and they are Hanukkah and Purim. They're not Passover with the splitting of the sea. They're not the, the wandering in the desert, etc. They are miracles that worked through human beings where we were the miracle. Human beings, because if you stop and think about it, to say that God made a miracle is absurd because nothing for God is miraculous, is beyond his ability. God is, by definition, infinitely capable of doing anything and everything. Therefore, the real test and illustration of miracle is we shouldn't pray for a miracle. We should be a miracle. And there are many, many times when we rise to heights that are miraculous where we illustrate what the Bible and our different religions want of us, and that is to be miraculous. So uh, the point that I'm really making is we shouldn't be looking for splitting of the sea in our lives. It's very fascinating that the Talmud tells us that ten things were created on the eve of the first Sabbath of the first week of creation. And they list miracles, supernatural miracles. And they say these were built into the world and into history. But those are not the things that we are supposed to be looking for and that the Pew Report, which I'm familiar with, uh, illustrates where people uh, doubt miracles and wonder whether miracles happen in our generation. Please don't look for the splitting of the sea. Look for the way in which when people get closer to their lives and understanding their relationships, when people see things that they call normal, like the birth of a child, as we said before, those are the miracles. Okay, I, I, that are I, hear, I, hear, I hear that. I hear that, and, and that certainly resonates with me, and I think a, a lot of a lot of respondents to to study. Uh, but Professor Weddle, there there does seem to be some sort of problem here, I guess, because the Abrahamic faiths, at least, seem to be uh, pretty dependent in the narratives on miracles. But as we sit here right now in 2023, at least in the United States, and probably indicative of much of the, the Western Abrahamic world, uh, only less than half of the folks that uh, believe in God believe in miracles and are extremely dubious uh, of others' beliefs in miracles. What's going on here? Why that delta? Because miracles, precisely by definition, are hang, ways hang, in which hang on a second, God Rabbi. works. Hang, hang on a second. I want to. I want to get. If God were to perform miracles that are open and revealed and clear 
There would be no more free will. There would be no more free choice. God doesn't want us to be religious because of miracles. Here's what Maimonides says. The master. Hang, hang on a second, Rabbi. Hang on a second, because I, I get that from a theological perspective. I understand, but Professor Weddle, I guess I'm asking you more from, let's say, a, a sociological perspective, where we're not necessarily yeah. infusing the belief of miracles, whether it's the way the rabbi describes or not, it, you know, positively. What do you make of this very significant? Delta between people that believe in God, less than half of those respondents saying they believe in miracles, and a, and a, and a, and a very high number of people saying they're very dubious of others thinking that miracles are, are happening in their lives. All right. In the first place, I'm quite suspicious about public polls in which people describe their beliefs in God. God is a term that is in itself meaningless. It is empty. Its content is only filled in by the traditions that use the term. Many of these people polled are not part of the tradition. They don't have much theological sophistication at all. But if they are thinking about God as a transcendent personal agent, then they, then they either believe that that agent reveals in history and nature, or does not, in which case, what is the point of bothering with him? Mm-hmm. I think I think that miracles are indispensable to a religion for its authorization. Now, whether you belong to that tradition will much affect whether or not you accept its claims of miracles. But I would, I mean, I would ask the rabbi, if God, however we're going to understand that, doesn't occasionally reveal through divine intervention that God is, then how do we know anything we say about God is true? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, it's very interesting. The Bible itself says, if someone arises and says something contrary to biblical morality or biblical uh, ideas and ideals, and then in order to prove that what he is saying is correct and should be relied upon performs a miracle, then you are not to listen to him. You are not to believe on the basis of miracles. Miracles, uh, Trudeweiss Roseman uh, said beautifully, miracles can be used by every religion and have been used by every religion to prove their validity. And she said as follows, if miracles could prove the religion of one religion, they can be used to prove the validity of every religion. Hence, they prove the validity of no religion. Because obviously, there are things that people can do. I've seen magicians. They do wonderful tricks and Miracles of that sort are not why someone should be religious. Maimonides says, we were not given miracles in order to believe. We are given miracles in order to solve specific problems. God is willing to override laws of nature and make miracles. But our belief should be rooted in our recognition 
of the spiritual and the divine, which couldn't exist without uh, an initial force, without a God, without a leadership of a running of the world. And uh, that is the only basis that Judaism says should be the key to our acceptance of uh, God. Now, uh, if you now, Rabbi, you make you make a very valid point, which is that is the difference that, between the validity of the magical tricks, <laughs> or the miracles that Moses performed or Jesus performed, then that's an absurd game. You have to understand that miracles. We're going to need we're going to need to take our our next break, but that's a, it's a very good point with respect to Judaism's kind of. Uh, Regarding miracles with some ambivalence and, 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 and doubt, you quoted Maimonides and the Guide to the Perplexed and, and also the Deuteronomy 13, uh, 2 to 4, very relevant. We're going to get though to a much less ambivalent stance on miracles in the other Abrahamic faiths after our next break. We're here with Professor David Weddle, Rabbi Benjamin Black, talking about miracles and the trouble with them at times. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skin care. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skin care surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. back on equal footing and we're debating miracles and before the break Rabbi Benjamin Black I think made an impassioned and very cogent argument for Judaism's somewhat circumspect relationship with the miraculous not as a validating agent of the existence of, of Hashem but I, I would say and pardon my being so uh, clunky with my language but kind of one of the many tools um, in the tool shed as, as it relates to um, positive uh, and blessed agency in this world. However, Professor Weddle, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness from our Christian and Muslim listeners before I, I say this, but it seems that in the other Abrahamic faith, the the miracles are essential to the validation of the faith itself, uh, almost like putting it in, in today's common parlance, like street cred, like Jesus and Muhammad need to get, need to have that street cred 
for everything else to be believed in, whether it's the, the, the Jesus miracles that are cited in the uh, Christian Bible, from uh, water into wine, to the healing of the paralytic at Bethesda, feeding of the thousand, Jesus walking the water, healing the man, the blind man from, who is the, the man who was blind from birth, the raising of, of Lazarus, etc., or in Islam, you know, Muhammad splitting the moon in two halves, and the, 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 the journey from Mecca to Jerusalem, and the moon and back being so quick, and the invitation to the of a thousand people to dinner from one place. These things are, um, I guess, to use, uh, to, I don't want to put words in the rabbi's mouth, but they seem, they're almost like magic tricks. And yes, some of those magic tricks are very helpful in terms of saving, saving someone from blindness or from paralysis, but they, they don't, they're not world changing. They seem to be almost uh, some sort of, um, you know, uh, something that just gets, gets these individual um, prophets as, as, as they were street cred. It, it, what's, what's going on here? To me, that feels like a, almost a debasing of the divinity of, of, of the miracle. Uh, help, help me get my, help me eliminate my bias, Professor Weddle. No, you've made a very, very important point. That uh, Rabbi, hang, hang, hang on one second. Hang on one second. I want to get some airtime to Professor Weddle on on, the, on Christianity and Islam because you've, you've you made I think a very cogent argument as it relates to uh, Judaism's relationship with um, with miracles. Well, let me say that each of these three traditions begins with a miracle. And you know that because it's when the calendar in each of these traditions begins. So for Judaism, it is creation. Creation is a miracle. God brings the world out of nothing. Or, perhaps, he brings it out of the primordial elements of water and darkness. Either way, creation is a divine intervention creating a state of affairs that would not otherwise have held. So the Jewish calendar begins with creation. We're now in the year 5783, I think. The question is, did God create the universe to develop according to its own laws, or does God continue to modify the world? Another version is, are humans required to take care of nature and act responsibly, or are we allowed to petition God to assist us by miracles? I think this is a very important religious question. Should one pray I feel, I, pardon the interruption, I, I feel to some extent, I don't think I've ever said this, this to you on the air, so pardon me, that you're kind of evading the question. The, the, the question that I have is that the miracles in Christianity and Islam feel to me a little bit more like magic tricks. Like they're like proving street cred for the individuals involved as opposed to, you know, a miracle like a part in the Red Sea, which is morally complex, as we covered earlier in the program, but it's saving an entire people from extinction. Whereas, you know, I don't, you know, Muhammad splitting the moon in two uh, or, or, or Jesus turning water into wine, the, the, I, I don't, I don't kind of get that other than through the prism of look at me I am related to God and that feels like a very different type of miracle no 
Well, I think when Moses raises his staff over the Red Sea and the people pass through the other side, and then he moves it again and the Egyptians are killed, looks like Moses is showing off too. I think that what you're talking about is that miracles in all of these traditions are meant to be signs of divine authority and power. I don't see the difference between, say, Jesus feeding the 5,000 as an act of nurturing God's creation and Moses parting the Red Sea. Pretty spectacular, but still... But, but Professor, isn't Moses parting the Red Sea to save his nation, or uh, the nation of Israel, and isn't, isn't I mean, it, I don't think the 5,000 that are fed are about to die of starvation, right? Isn't, isn't it to some extent a, a little bit more banal, some of these miracles in the Christian Bible and, and in, in well, the let's, Quran? Let's sort, of, let's sort of put it this way. Let's, let's put them both under the category of sign. Uh, as you know, every verse in the Quran, for example, is an ayah, it is a sign. These miracles point to something. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and that is immediately followed by an interpretation of Jesus as the bread of life, leads into the Christian sacramental tradition. So these miracles are signs. Moses' miracle is a sign that Israel has been chosen by God for a particular purpose. But it has that dark side we've talked about. The Egyptians must die in order for the Israelites to be free. The walls of Jericho fall miraculously, but the population within must die. Now, I don't find that kind of dark side in any of the Christian material except in a subject we've talked about before, namely apocalypse. Yeah, the the, the end of times uh, the dynamic of, of the end of times and of miracles, a whole different kettle of fish. Uh, Rabbi Black, I, and I, I want to be an equal opportunity challenger here. Um, you know, I, did, I didn't mean to put you too much on the spot, Professor Weddell. These are, and I know that... Um, these are complex and very sensitive um, beliefs. But Rabbi Black, you, you, to go back to the Pew Research Center study, uh, it, it was very interesting to see, this is the global study, this is the one that was done 2011-2012, respondents from all of the uh, five major global faiths. Uh, and I was fascinated to see that, that Christians and Jews responded almost identically as it relates to the tension between the supernatural and belief, or science and religion. In one case, 54%, and the other 56% of uh, Jews and Christians, respectively, see conflict between science and religion. But um, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists, much less so. Muslims and Hindus mostly showed in response that there's overlap, not necessarily conflict, between science and religion. And Buddhists 
states, in fact, said they were totally, there was the lowest level of concern that there was generally a belief that science and religion are in completely different spheres and bear no consequence one upon the other. I, the reason I'm bringing this up, Rabbi, is that I think when it comes to the, uh, the modern day, uh, Jewish or Christian believer, there is a sense that miracles are best thought of as the, you know, the fruits of great human effort and a wonderful outcome, but nothing that could possibly be in contradiction of the rules of science and nature. With other um, systems of belief don't, don't seem to see that as, as conflictual. Do you, do you agree with this? And is this kind of, is this the death knell in a sense in, in Judaism and Christianity ultimately for our belief in miracles? Let me just tell you that uh, Maimonides is acknowledged as, next to Moses, uh, the greatest uh, Jewish theologian. And Maimonides said if you were to find something that scientifically disproves a Jewish belief, then uh, you should reconsider the belief, unless it's something that is biblically stated. You do not base religion, Judaism, on miracles. To say that, well, they have this uh, miracle, Christians have this particular miracle that Jesus performed, and Moses performed the other one, and I like this miracle more than that, and therefore I like Christianity more, is perhaps infantile. And a lot of this discussion I found offensive because it seemed to imply that uh, the difference between religions is the quality of the miracles they base themselves on. Maimonides said, you do not believe, a Jew does not believe in Judaism because our miracles are great or because of miracles themselves. A Jew is scientific and pragmatic. He believes in Judaism because of a historic event, the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, which was done in the presence of over two million people. We do not claim that the miracles are the ones, things that make us believe in God. Miracles are events that were performed by God to reply to specific needs. They are pragmatic. Miracles from a Jewish perspective are not a virgin birth to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, but miracles are the splitting of the sea so that the Jews can escape the Egyptians and that God can punish the Egyptians for what they had done. It is a totally different perspective about miracles between Judaism and the other religions. And I think our discussion veered away from that and seemed to suggest that, well, miracles are the key to whether you are a believer or not. We are believers because of a historic event, Sinai, and we are believers because intuitively we understand that this world, and you mentioned creation, could not have come into being, and our essence and our abilities and our way of being able to hear, to see, as the things that I mentioned beforehand, are all indicative of some part of divinity, which biblically means God blew into us his spirit, and we are created in his image. Amen. Rabbi Benjamin Black. 
Professor David Weddle, thank you for engaging in this difficult discussion. We're going to take our last break, and I want to plant uh, with you a question from a listener, Diane, who says that the Ukrainians are surely wishing for a miracle in the war. The Russians are surely wishing for the same. Which is the miracle? Please explain. <laughs> it's alliterative as well. We'll be right back at Equal Footing talking about miracles. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by DocuVax. DocuVax is a super easy-to-use medical information locker on your smartphone, on your iPhone, your Android. You can download the app on your app store, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. That's DocuVax. It does not just cover vaccines. It includes of course, immunization records, but also lab results, x-rays, MRIs, uh, information on blood types and allergies. You should have all of your medical information in one easy-to-use, secure, HIPAA-compliant locker. Go ahead and download the app. Download then all of your medical information. It's safe and secure. You share it with an insurance provider or a doctor only when you choose to use DocuVax's uh, proprietary QR code based sharing system, and it's cheap. DocuVax is only $6.99 per month. A year's subscription is saved just on one reference to a specialist. Yeah, you know how you do that? DocuVax has doctors and nurses on call for you 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So anytime you want a reference, you don't have to go through a GP. You just say, have all your medical information. You call in or you send a note on the app and you get a reference uh, directly. Your medical data is never accessible to anybody but you. And you can schedule and know when you have to do preventative screenings like colorectal exams or breast cancer screenings as well as be up to date on an immunization. So put an end to worrying. If you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular medical procedure, has all their medical records in the right place, take control of your medical file, sign up on the DocuVax app, or go to DocuVax.com. And finally, if you want a group discount, which you can get if you mention you heard about it on the Equal Footing radio program, you can do that by calling 833-859-1933. That's a group discount if you're a small business owner or you want to do it for a school or whatever. Again, for DocuVax, 833-859-1933. All right, we're back with Rabbi Benjamin Black. Professor David Weddle, I have managed uh, unwittingly to, I think, offend both of our guests in tonight's program. I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek. Of course, what we're trying to do is ask the questions that sometimes people are afraid to ask and hear why we're wrong. And talking about miracles is a sensitive subject. As Rabbi Black has beautifully articulated, it is not at the root of our relationship with Hashem as Jews theologically. And as you beautifully articulated, 
Professor Weddle. Uh, these are not kind of magic tricks in the Christian and Islamic tradition, um, but signs of divine relationships. I do want to get to Diane's question. Um, she's right, I'm sure. I imagine both the Ukrainians and the Russians are both wishing for a miracle. Is, 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 can we, Professor Weddle, uh, call that type of prayer a prayer for for a miracle, and if people are praying for two completely um, uh, polar opposite outcomes, um, what does that what does that say about our relationship with miracles in the first place? Well, I think it's another demonstration that miracles have both a positive and a negative side. One of those sides is going to lose, and the question is. Who will come to their aid? My own conclusion, Rabbi may be surprised by this, is closer to his view than it might first appear. I think that stories about miracles are important because they inspire people to realize their outcomes. So the Ukrainians pray for deliverance, and it comes in the form of tanks from Germany and the United States. Is that a miracle? Well, all of the miracles of divine deliverance coming from beyond one's own resources have inspired those acts of generosity and support. And that, I would say, is what the real function and significance of miracle stories are, including the story of the divine revelation of Torah at Sinai. That is as much a miracle as the resurrection of Jesus. Rabbi Black, there's a, a listener uh, who's, who's reacting to your comments earlier about the miracles that are uh, that come through in the stories of Hanukkah and Purim. And he says... I have witnessed situations where someone or a group of people work really hard towards an unlikely outcome, and when it happens, they succeed, but someone else calls it a miracle, which I think takes away the merit of those who work so hard, sometimes leaving behind a lot of their life energy in the process. And his direct question to you, Rabbi, is do miracles steal the merit from true and difficult human wins? Oh, my God. <laughs> a miracle becomes greater when human beings are attached to their fulfillment. What God really wants, the Talmud says, is for human beings to become partners with him in the historic process. Let me incorporate an answer to Diane as well with this. The first commandment, the rabbis tell us, is not, I am the Lord your God who created the heavens and the earth. I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt, meaning God says, more than the creator, I am the ongoing God of history. History has a moral arc. History is his story, with the word his, capital H. It's the story of God working with man and through man to make 
the world better. It is the Jewish people and the Torah that gave the world the concept of Messiah, which is an optimistic, a truly optimistic vision of a world where eventually the villain does not succeed. The tzaddik, the righteous person, and the righteous ideals will finally win the battle, and the world will become the Garden of Eden it was envisioned to be when God created the world. One last question from a listener. We're going to run out of time. And as always, we get a lot of these questions near the end of the program, uh, which is a, a shame. It's a very good. There's a couple of questions, actually, from listeners. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of conglomerate it. Con, uh, amalgamate into one, and it, it goes to the fact that miracles, in a certain sense, debase uh, God's power. Uh, and this reminds me also of one of the pieces that we looked at in our pregame research by a, a theologian named James Keller called The Moral Argument Against Miracles, the idea being that when you're praying for a miracle, in a sense you're asking God to go outside of um, of his kind of the normal sequence of of the universe and of of his work, um, Professor Weddle, do these listeners, two listeners, have made this point? And uh, is this is this a valid way to look at things? I mean, should we? Is there a moral argument against praying for miracles? Yes, there is. There is a moral argument, and there is a religious argument. The moral argument was first set out by Spinoza who argued that belief in miracles or reliance on miracles weakens our sense of moral responsibility. So we trust God to take care of things we should take care of ourselves. The religious argument is a little more complex. It is that believing in miracles means that God's creation was not complete in the first place. And so he has to dip in and tweak this and tweak that by the use of miracles. Those two arguments have been very influential in all of these traditions in creating a community of dissent against belief in miracles. And that's one of the themes of my book. Rabbi, do you agree? Is there, from a Judaic perspective, a moral argument against praying for miracles? There's a moral argument to imposing upon us, human beings, an obligation to join God in perfecting the world. And in order to do that, we show, God, we're on your side. Praying to God is a way of identifying with God's ideals and hopes for humankind. Praying for miracles is a way of saying morality needs to win out, and I'm on your side, God. And the more people who side with God the more is it possible then for the world to become the Garden of Eden that God originally envisioned for us. Rabbi Benjamin Black, Professor David Weddle, thank you for this enlightening discussion. I apologize for uh, anything that may have offended either of you. Uh, I thought that uh, we would just close by sharing for a moment the most miraculous element of your life. What uh, to bring it down to the personal one? We only have about a minute left, so please, very briefly, what is the miracle going on in, I, I, in both of your lives at this moment? 
I was born in Switzerland, and I managed to get out in 1941 and come to America on the very last boat that made it out of Europe. And some of the stories that occurred and the way in which I was able to get on that boat and my family and escape Germany and the Holocaust were filled, filled with incidents of what some people might call coincidence, but were really miracles. And I take that to mean that God said, I need this guy, Rabbi Blech, to be mm-hmm. on this earth to teach, to reach, to okay. achieve things that will make this a better world. Professor Weddle, what about you? Is there a miracle in your life? <laughs> I, I really don't have anything that can, can come close to that. I think the rabbi has reason to be profoundly grateful for the presence of God as a liberating force in his life. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you. Thank you both for joining. Catch everyone next week.